Before we get started, a quick shout out to the man himself, DJ McHale. Thank you for retweeting us last week. We always appreciate it. Now, on with the show. Hello everyone, and welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where two grown men watch every single episode of Nickelodeon's classic TV horror anthology show for kids, Are You Afraid of the Dark? You remember it, it was on SNCC, and try to figure out if it is still scary, even now. And this is the third time I've tried to say that, and I hope that one's good enough for air, because I'm sticking with it. My name's David Dykus, and I'm tired of talking. Hi, I'm Eli Phillips. How's it going, party people? And we want to thank you for joining us for the season finale! Of both Are You Afraid of the Dark and You Scared of This. Because this yeah, week... We still have we still have the Freighties. We still have the Freighties, but this is... This week, we are reviewing the season finale for season five of Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of Badge. Yeah. A very, very important episode indeed. Not because of anything in the episode. Uh, certainly not. But more important for its its place in the timeline of, of the show's history... Mm-hmm. This is the last episode featuring the classic Are You Afraid of the Dark Midnight Society cast and crew, I guess. Yeah, largely. We'll have much and more to talk about that at the end of the episode. Before we get to all that that heavy lifting, all that serious business, why don't you hit us with some of that sweet Nick news? After the, after the drought of Nick news we had last week, surely, surely you have something juicy for us this week. Uh, yeah, there is no new... Business this week. Nickelodeon's really saving all their stuff. I was uh, scanning the internet for really any Nick news or nude business to talk about, and normally, you know, I search for Nickelodeon-related keywords, and desperate to find anything even remotely close to our purview, I search for the Disney Channel and oh, found an God. article about Nickelodeon. <laughs> Eli, why would you do that? I mean, it I know works. you just explained why you did that, but why would you do that? <laughs> Well, I say it worked. It kind of worked. Uh, This is an article from a website called exchangefourmedia.com, and four is the number four, so Exchange for Media. Sounds Um, legit. Yeah, sounds like a real website. And uh, so I started reading it because the headline said, Disney Channel broke Nick's tradition of leading the kids' genre for week 35. And I was like, oh, well, that's actually, you know, I guess a small thing that we can talk about. Uh, I started reading into the article, and uh, it says, you know, Disney Channel usurped Nickelodeon with a a marginally higher amount of impressions, uh, 97.8 million to 96.9 million impressions. I was like, okay, so it's a very small lead, but they've got some lead. And uh, then the next paragraph of this article says, however, Disney Channel's Doraemon the movie, Nobita Kineo Dania, took the third spot with 0.8 million impressions, while Nick's Machu Petlu 36 Gauntly Race Against Time ranked second by fetching 0.9 million impressions. And that's when I realized this entire article was about Nickelodeon and Disney Channel in India. (laughs) But where does Don't Be a Shampoo rank in all of this? (laughs) That is a commercial. Ah. I was thinking that, like, Nickelodeon and Disney are both getting really, like experimental with their show titles but uh that makes a bit more sense yeah yeah uh so that's hilarious so there's our our uh international nude business for the week (laughs) better than nothing i guess better than nothing (laughs) so uh i guess with all that out of the way should we just dive into the tale of badge i think we probably should (laughs) (laughs) 
before we do any more damage to our reputation. All right, so let's kick off this season finale of Are You Afraid of the Dark? An unintentional season finale. This is the tale of Badge. This episode originally aired April 20th, 1996, which is more than two months after the tale of the night shift. What happened which, here? Did they just forget to run an episode? This this happens sometimes with shows. They'll end, they'll have a leftover episode, like a holder a holdover episode that airs at a, at a later date. I know with a lot of the Simpsons seasons, the early seasons, they would have episodes produced for one season that would air later in another one, or they'd have episodes that air just way out of order. I assume that's what's happening here, is they produced the Tale of Badge, there just wasn't a place for it in the normal schedule, and they held it over for a, a couple months. I mean, so I think weird. canonically speaking, this definitely takes place before the Tale of the Night Shift. Yeah, uh, the Tale of the Night Shift, as we said last week, was meant to be the final episode of the series. It has a big 65 on the door in the final shot of the story. Gary and Sam yep. get together. It is a conclusion for the show. But then this one aired in April, and it was it was directed by Ian Patterson and uh, written by Wendy Brotherlin. It's the last time we'll be hearing from uh, Miss Brotherlin. Sad tubo. Da, da, da. Anyway. <laughs> do we want to do a retrospective on Wendy Brotherlin's work? She only wrote three episodes. Let's, let's... Is it worth it? What were they? She did this one, she did The Tale of the Quicksilver, and she did The Tale of the Silent Servant. Huh. How about that? Uh, an interesting thematic connection running through through all of these episodes of small town magic and old people. Yeah, that is interesting. That's all of the set of information. Let's get to the episode. And when we meet the Midnight Society this week, surprise, surprise, this week's storyteller is running late. Uh, Gary is the storyteller for this week, and Stig, I think, asks what will happen if he just doesn't show up. Tucker has a, has planned for this. Tucker is going to save the day here. He sits down in the storyteller's chair and produces Gary's glasses from his pocket and says he's going to tell the story as Gary. And oh my god. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm surprised he doesn't get tossed in the fire for this. Come on, guys, no fighting. The rules say no fighting, so no fighting. So, Gar, what's your story about tonight? It's about magic. I love magic. And you do too, because I'm the boss, and the rules say you gotta like what I like. Yeah, we hear you like Samantha. Stig? Samantha, what a babe. I have a picture of her in my room. It's right next to my bed. In fact, I declare this meeting closed so I can go home and look at it right now. <laughs> implying that he's going... Well, never mind. <laughs> you know what it's implying. As he's implying this, the real Gary rounds the corner and again looks, as he often does at Tucker, he looks like an angry god. He is pissed and he is sans glasses. Gary takes his glasses back, sits down in the chair, and is surprisingly cool with this. He says that this is a good demonstration for his story. He says all of us have something that we're good at. We have our own our own latent talents. Tucker's talent happens to be being a butt. Being an idiot. Yeah. It gets big laughs out of the out of the Midnight Society, but it wasn't nearly as effective as, as Tucker's burn on Gary. No. Tucker says that everyone has talents, but be careful not to be too talented to the extent that you can't control the talent that you have. Yeah, he says you better hope your talent doesn't fuck shit up, which is, I guess, kind of like a lazy segue. It, it gets also, us there. Also, is that at all related? We always try to talk about the, the tenuous connections here. Would we say that that's an accurate description of what happens in this story? Not exactly, no. All right. Way to go, Gary. 
Whatever, you're under pressure from your brother. He fucked things up for you. <laughs> Tucker's a hard act to follow tonight. Uh, yeah. So we kick off the tale of, of Badge. And we open on a family celebrating a birthday. We meet our main character, Gwen, who is sitting down at a table for her 16th birthday. Her mother is bringing in a cake. She's sitting with her grandmother. Her father is taking a picture on the world's oldest camera. Uh, and they're all celebrating and applauding. Yep, but no sooner has she blown out the candles than the party is interrupted by her shitty little brother, Trevor, a.k.a. Ferguson. Yep. Turd Ferguson. Trevor comes in and totally, like, steals the spotlight. He has just won the big prize at the county science fair. And so, amazingly, all of the attention shifts over to him. The birthday party is forgotten. Yeah, the family just, like, lifts Trevor up on their shoulders and carries him out of the room singing for He's a Jolly Good Fellow. And then they give him her birthday cake. Only the old grandma seems to uh, to notice that this upsets uh, Gwendolyn. This is insane, right? I, I really like Trevor. Like, even though he is he's the classic Are You Afraid of the Dark little shit, uh, the actor playing him really does a good job with relishing this moment. Like, not only is he proud of himself for winning the science fair, he's proud of himself for, like, making his sister miserable. Which... This is the most, like, if a person consciously did this, this is the most fucked up thing that a little sibling has done on the show in a while, is like, I'm going to steal my sister's 16th birthday. I mean, to be fair, at least he earned his trophy. She was gonna turn 16 no matter what. You're an asshole. <laughs> I- I'm kidding. Of course, I'm-, I'm pulling for Gwen here. Gwen goes back to her room to sadly practice her flute. Uh, yep. but meanwhile, Grandma, Grandma Willie, which they call her Willie, okay goes to her room and reaches into her her dresser to find a mysterious box that seems to be shaking around of its own power. It's a little sort of jewelry box thing, and hand-carved into the top of it are some music notes, and painted on it, I think, is the word badge. Yep, B-A-D-G-E in all capital letters. She also produces a large, like, opal from the drawer, like a big red ruby necklace. It's a jasper. It's a jasper. Is a jasper a real thing? Uh, a Jasper is a real thing. I do not think this is actually Jasper. Okay, she produces this Jasper, which is a big necklace. I didn't know it was a real thing, but Grandma Willie has one, and she brings it and the box over to Gwendolyn, who, as, as we mentioned, is practicing the flute. She is not very good. <laughs> Bless her heart. She kind of whines to her grandmother about how her brother got all of the brains and she is average. This is like the second girl we've had complain about being average in this season, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's a recurring theme in season five for sure. Uh, But Grandma Willie has a gift for her and she produces the, the Jasper. And with it, she produces some sprightly Irish music. It's very special, just like you. Yeah, this episode is the most Irish thing that we've gotten since Jake and the Leprechaun. Oh yeah, we're going deep into Irish folklore here. Uh, before we can, we can learn more about this Jasper's mystical properties, Mom comes in the room and decides to just raid on the parade a little bit more. Uh, she tells Gwendolyn she just found out that Gwen quit the band. The school band, I assume, not like a rock band. Where she plays rock flute. Yeah, she's in a Jethro Tull cover band. Uh, anyway, she's she has suddenly quit the band. Gwen's mom now has to go to a an immediate. She has to go immediately to a parent teacher conference, meaning that Gwen has to stay here and babysit her shitty little brother on her birthday. 
this whole scene is insane. Yeah, her mom couldn't say, I'm sorry, it's Gwen's 16th birthday, and we're not going to a parent-teacher meeting about quitting the band on her 16th birthday while we're celebrating. Like, these parents are friggin' assholes. They're assholes. And even, like, old old Grandma Willie sells her out, too. He's like, oh, I've got plans. Yeah, she has to go see the ladies' club. So Grandma gets to go to a party. It's not even her birthday. Gwen complains that she had plans that night. She was going to go to a party with her friends. So not even her party. Someone else is throwing a party on her birthday, and she's going to go to it. What the fuck is going on here? Oh, my God. It's like they're trying to just dick Gwen over here. But either way, Gwen resigns herself to this, collapses on the bed, has not learned any of this, this Irish magic yet. Meanwhile, Grandma Willie goes to put the... The badge box away in her drawer, and as she's doing this, Ship for Brain's little brother Trevor very creepily spies on her through a crack in the door and watches her. There's nothing comfortable about this moment. No, it feels very voyeuristic. Uh, a little boy watching his grandmother through a crack in the door. I mean, yeah. nothing nothing happens here other than he learns the location of the box and stuff. But still. Why would you spy on an old lady in her bedroom? If we cut from this scene to... It, it's not one of the worst line readings ever. We do get a, this week's requisite bad line reading from, from Dad. Come on, we're going to be late. I, I assumed you would have to mention that one. Oh, yes. So Go all on. the adults leave. We get an exchange between Grandma Willie and Shit for Brains Kid uh, in Latin. And as for you, Primum. Which just makes Gwen feel even more stupid. I thought that scene was kind of funny. What does the grandmother say? Like, don't start any trouble or something. Yeah, it's just, she just, like, tells him something in Latin. And Gwen calls him Greek boy. And he says, that wasn't Greek. That wasn't Greek. It's Latin. Huh. Gwen takes the uh, the phone to her room and is gossiping with one of her friends about the party that she's missing out on. Meanwhile, her little brother sneaks into Grandma Willie's room and decides that he's going to play the penny whistle inside of this box. He takes out the badge box and starts tooting on this horn when the little crystal inside of the box starts to glow. Yeah, we didn't even mention inside this box, it normally contains, I guess, the Jasper, a tiny penny whistle, much like the one that you have in it's real true. life. Yep. And uh, and also what appears to be a tiny piece of the aggro crag. <laughs> yeah, it's just some little like chunk of quartz crystal or something. Trevor, I guess he's gone to the trouble of opening the box. He might as well play with the stuff inside. So he pulls out this this penny whistle, blasts a note on it, and suddenly shit starts to get real. The earth shakes, and the house is enveloped in a haze of fog machine fog. This is like the most intense fog we have had on this show in a while. I wondered if this was some sort of like pyrotechnic, because that is a shit ton of smoke. Like... Both of the kids are sitting in front of windows, and it is just billowing outside like they're burning they're, the house down. They're they're burning off all the excess fake fog that they've accumulated over the past five seasons. <laughs> like, we gotta get rid of this stuff. We're never doing this again. And as this is happening, the aggro crag inside the box starts to glow with power. It glows aggro crag green. Exactly. Yeah. As, as all this is happening, Gwen is totally oblivious. She's on the phone with someone who's telling her about the party. So, time out. I know this is not actually, rel- like, important to the episode. So, is there someone at the party who's just standing around on the phone describing it to her? Yep, that's exactly what's happening. That does not sound like a lot of fun. <laughs> no, like, 
if this girl was having any fun at this party at all, she'd been like, oh, sorry, I forgot to call you. But as sucks. this is happening, outside the kitchen window where Gwen's sitting, we get more fake fog. We get a blast of bagpipe music. <laughs> Which, I guess Scottish, not Irish. I yeah, <laughs> I think they're getting their their uh, British Isles mixed up here. But whatever, you get get used to hearing that bagpipe fanfare because it's going to show up a lot in the next ten minutes. The power goes out. Gwen grabs a flashlight. She goes to the front door because there's a knocking, and she peeks through the uh, through the peephole and just sees all of the smoke billowing outside. So there's someone knocking on the door. But all she can see is smoke. Yeah, there's a man's voice saying, please let me in. There's been an accident, which I wonder if that means there's been a car crash or if, like, the guy's just, like, pooped his pants. <laughs> I had an accident. Gwen of course, is rightfully suspicious of this and doesn't let the guy in. Yeah. Uh, uh, for, for a second, I was, like, put off by this. I was like, why the fuck wouldn't you let him in? He just said there's been an accident. And then I was like, no, I feel like that was all my parents told me when I was a kid is, like, if someone knocks on the door, doesn't matter what the fuck they tell you, you don't let them in. So... Way to go, Gwen, I guess. Especially if you look at the peephole and you just see smoke. Yeah, I mean, if there's clearly some sort of, like, witch's magic happening, you don't open the door for anything. Like, even and, your parents. But, whatever. Yeah, and if you hear, like, bagpipes playing a creepy melody in the background, I don't know that she can actually hear that. That may just be us, the, the viewer, but... Which of those is weirder? What, the smoke or the bagpipes? If we could hear the bag, if only we could hear the bagpipes, or if she could hear it, it'd be funnier if she could hear it. Like I kept <laughs> waiting for her. it's so overbearing. I kept waiting for her to like turn her head and react to it, but uh, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Please help! There's been an accident. I broke my bagpipe. I can only play these eight <laughs> notes. <laughs> it just reminds me of that episode of Rocco where they're doing the cross country trip and their tape of bagpipe music gets stuck on repeat. <laughs> yeah. Most loved disco of the 70s as played by the McFrifty Brothers Backpipe Band. <laughs> That's the accident. <laughs> My car wrecked. It's fine and I can drive, but there's bagpipe music. Anyway, we're, we're delaying the most Kill important me. part of the episode here. The, the male voice goes away. Trevor comes to ask what's going on. Uh, and suddenly a different voice appears from the other side of the door. Uh, there's knocking, and it sounds like Grandma Willie has come back from her, her ladies' club meeting. Uh, Gwen sighs a sigh of relief and opens the door. Big mistake. Big, big mistake. Because in through the door bursts Badge. Returned as Badge. <laughs> and what the fuck is Badge, I guess? What the fuck is Badge? Badge is... A monster the likes of which we have not seen on the show before. No, this is an incredible amount of effort for a villain in this show. Uh, maybe unnecessary effort, given that there's no context for it. Well, he's like a badger man, right? Oh, yeah, I guess he is. Yeah, badger. I guess she opens the door, and, it, and like suddenly the door is flooded with bright white light. And out from it comes this... this Ghastly-looking monster man. Badge looks like the world's best Redwall cosplay. <laughs> yep, pretty much. He is this. He's part man, part rodent, and it is an actor who is whose face is covered in what must be like five pounds of latex and makeup and hair. Yeah, there's like a prosthetic mouse's nose covering, or badger's nose, I guess, covering his own nose. He has 
a prosthetic sort of brow that gives him a constant angry joker face like there is so much makeup and fake wrinkles and fake skin fake hair fake ears they do a really impressive job here with this makeup like it's it's i initially said it was a notch above like your average power rangers villain (laughs) But it's really like several notches above that. It's it's legitimately good. He has full it, eyeball contact. Like he has contact lenses that cover his entire eyeball. Yeah, it's actually I would say like a few notches below the original Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It's 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 up there. It's up there with like the later Planet of the Apes movies where they didn't have any money. Yeah, where they're just reusing the old costumes. It kind of looks cheesy because of the fact that it's not like movie quality. And they're focusing on it so much. Like, this isn't a monster that stays in the shadows. This is a monster who's dancing around in their living room with all the lights on. Um, so it looks kind of cheesy in that respect. But if you were to compare it to, like, any normal Halloween costume that a person would wear, it beats the shit out of it. And it it definitely, you know, you said Power Rangers, but I'm going to call that one. It is way better than anything that you would have seen on Power Rangers or really any other kids show at the time. It's good. It's really good. So Badge gets his big entrance, and after that, we hit the commercial. Yep. And I have no idea what I'm going to use this week. Check this out! system when we come back badge continues introducing himself whoever's playing this guy is just going way over the top uh the most annoying thing about badge aside from his constant sort of contortion is that he talks like yoda Yeah, Badge is going on and on about wanting to know where the setter wind is. And when Gwyn cannot provide an answer for that, uh, he kidnaps Trevor and jumps backwards through the door that he came in through. This is where the episode should end, right? (laughs) Yeah, Gwyn is just like, well, my work here is done. Goes to the party. Yeah. (laughs) No, so he goes back through this door of white light. Now, if you'll recall in the episode uh, Tale of Station 109.1, Going through a door filled with white light took uh, our took one of the characters to heaven. Uh, this time, apparently, the door leads straight to hell <laughs> because uh, yeah, when a, Gwyn- a hell powered by goth magic because it's all purple and green light. <laughs> Gwyn goes through this door, following Badge, and comes at th- comes at the other side in this hellscape covered it, like yeah, as you said, purple and green and full of skeletons hanging on nooses. It's like a swamp, sort of. It's like a purple and green foggy swamp with skeletons hanging from nooses everywhere. It looks like somewhere you'd fight in, like, Mortal Kombat 2. <laughs> I actually think it's pretty cool, even though it's, like, very cheesy. It's The skeletons look very real. We get a lot of gratuitous close-ups on them. Just to let you know that this that badge means serious business. He's, he's murdered these people. <laughs> yeah, he even threatens to hang Gwen from a noose. Oh, we'll get there. But Gwen follows Badge through into his his garden, quote-unquote, and Badge gives a long exposition bomb about, 
how he was trapped in that piece of the aggro crag for 600 years, and now he's freed and he's going to capture the Setterwind, and he keeps wanting to know where the Setterwind is. Yeah, he says the Setterwind is, is what kept him trapped, and he says that Gwen has to go back and get it. Gwen has no idea what the Setterwind is, but she is she's permitted to go back through the door to reality. She's panicking, She's go she goes and looks through Grandma Willie's bedroom. This is one of those moments where I don't understand why you don't call the cops. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. A giant badger monster took your brother away to a hellscape. Take her away, boys! <laughs> Wait, that no! Same, that same Irish cop from every episode of our show. I mean, I stole that joke from, like, the Flophouse, who stole it yeah. from, I think, Looney Tunes? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she goes... <laughs> speaking of Irish, she goes to to Grandma Willie's room and finds, just sitting around, this enormous tome of Irish folklore... Uh, the first thing she finds is uh, an incantation about how to control Badge conveniently. Yep. Uh, that says that he can be controlled with the Jasper's Light. And the Jasper, you'll recall, is the big red necklace she was given at the start of the episode uh, that she now has around her neck. She keeps flipping through the pages, and she also finds several hand-drawn portraits of people with the last name Setterwind, including her grandma, which I guess she doesn't go by the name Setterwind. Otherwise, I feel like that would have been a bit more obvious. Yeah, I guess none of them do. And then she turns to the next page, and it's a picture of her that I guess Grandma just drew that very day because it's it's Gwen, it's sixteen-year-old Gwen with the name Gwen Setterwind. I love that the illustrations of all of these women get more detailed as they go, starting with the grandmother. Like, yeah, she she flips past three or four women with the the last name Setterwind, and they're all fairly vague drawings. And then when you get to the grandmother, it's detailed enough so that you're supposed to know it's her. And then when we get to the drawing of Gwen, it's the most detailed one there is. Yeah, she might as well have gotten this in one of those, like, photo booths at the mall that can, like, do your own caricature. But Gwen, she she finds out, like, oh, the Setterwind is, like, a, a, a family thing. I'm the Setterwind. And she takes the necklace and she says the incantation that was listed earlier in the book. And she's like, okay, I'm going to use this to go defeat Bad. Yeah, and when she says that the, uh, the amulet, the Jasper amulet lights up. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't find lights. Did you hear that? Yep. God damn it. Thanks, Alexa. Thanks. So Gwen backtracks, she returns to Hellscape, she pulls out the necklaces like, uh-uh, badge. No way. And she says she says the the words. But they don't seem to have any effect on them. In fact, Badge himself just grabs the uh the amulet. It's just like, oh, you're too weak. The Jasper's Light is not powerful enough with you. Yeah, and he insists that she go get the real Setterwind. We get the moment you alluded to earlier. Hang you will in my garden. It's not quite as visceral as the drop you and lick up what's left line from last week, but uh, still pretty gross. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, it's said very quickly in passing and in his weird speech. So hopefully it wasn't, like, too visceral for kids watching the episode at the time. But there are a bunch of friggin' skeletons just hanging around. As this is happening, Grandma has actually come home from the ladies' club. Uh, and senses that there's, there's danger afoot. She hears the bagpipes, I guess. <laughs> so she uh, rushes into the house. She starts banging on the door, and Badge realizes who it is. And, she, and he's like, oh, the real Setterwind, the one that I was actually looking for. Realize that Badge is actually after Grandma, because Grandma, I guess, has been keeping him imprisoned. Finally, Grandma is able to throw herself through the door, and she enters Outworld, or wherever this is. And we get a, we get this, this 
Jedi and Padawan exchange between between Grandma and Gwen. Play the song, Gwen. Music is your gift. The song. We also get the worst effect in the episode. <laughs> what the one where she just zooms in from from the light? Yeah, Grandma like is pulled through the the light and fog into this scene, but. She's not walking. She's just floating in. It looks like she's on one of those people movers at the airport. <laughs> yeah. She's just conveyor belted in. And and then, then Gwen is pulled backwards out. out. Yeah. It's so cheesy. As they're just kind of floating there in the door between worlds, uh, Grandma says, like, Gwen, it's time. Go and use your gift of music and play the song and, and undo the curse. And Quint's like, wait, what? And then she's just pulled back into the house. <laughs> why Why didn't Grandma just like tell her very specifically what to do? So now we get the climax of this episode. We get this tension between Badge threatening Grandma, and this time he really actually pulls out a fucking noose. And is like, you're next. Or next you are. Yeah. Gwen, you know, she says she was not blessed with brains like her brother was. She really was not, because it takes her a long time to figure this out. She pulls out the uh, the flute from this box that her grandmother gave her, and she's like, what song? I'm supposed to play the song? What song? There's a friggin', like, set of music notes carved onto the lid of this box. Yeah, it's, it, like, that would have been, if she had just looked at the the, the letters B-A-D-G-E and figured out, oh, it's the, they're, she, they're meant to rep- represent the notes. Like, that would be impressive. But, like, no, this box actually has the musical notation carved into it. Yeah, they really okay. hammer it home. Like, before Badge can do any harm to Grandma, Gwen very slowly plays all five of these notes. And Badge is pulled out through the, the door between worlds. He's screaming, he's hamming it up, he's going nuts. And he is eventually sucked into the piece of the aggro crag. In another, maybe not so good, optical effect. No, this is uh, a pretty bad sort of little, like, warping thing that happens. And Turd Ferguson brother comes out through the door, and he's okay. And Grandma comes back out through the door, and she's okay. And she explains to Gwendolyn that she's the next in a long line of... of... Setterwinds. Setterwinds, yes. The little brother is weird in the scene, because he's like, Thanks for saving my life. You're a witch. That's pretty cool. And then he asks the grandmother, he's like, so what can she do? And grandma explains, oh, her job is to guard the box and to guard the crystal and to keep the monster inside of it and not let him loose. And the brother's like, wait a second, that sucks. That's it? My sister's some kind of witch? And all she gets to do is babysit a boogeyman in a box? That's weak. As he's going on this rant about how lame it is, which I I can't really disagree with him, grandma Willie walks around him in a circle and taps him on the head. She gives him the old men in black treatment yep. by completely wiping his memory of the events that just happened. Instead, he's just excited for a big bowl of ice cream. But I do believe there's some ice cream in the freezer. Yes! Grandma and, and Gwen share a little wink. Yep, and Grandma says that she's going to teach Gwen all the secrets of Setterwin magic. So that's the end of the story. Gwen gets to be a witch. And before we can see her go off to Hogwarts or some shit, we cut back to the Midnight Society. Gary wraps up his story, and Stig just out of nowhere wants to show off his talent. Yeah, Gary's like, so blah, 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 special secret talent. And Stig interrupts and says, I have a talent. And of course, everyone recoils with horror. Yeah, I think Sam even says this better not be gross. 
He pulls out a sock. No. Um, <laughs> Stig rears back and lets out a wolf call. Yeah, he howls into the sky. And dozens of wolves that I guess live in this same forest howl back. I gotta say, as far as hidden talents go, this one is pretty metal. Yeah. But Gary quickly puts out the fire. Everyone runs away for their lives. Stig eventually runs away himself, and we fade to black and get the Rockin' Awesome theme song. Rockin' Awesome theme song. Was this the laziest ending of an episode? Like, they couldn't figure out a way to get the Midnight Society to leave, and so they just had Stig drum up a bunch of wolves? Eh, it's fine. It's fine. All right. Well, what did you think about the rest of The Tale of Badge? Oh, man. So we're back on Irish folklore. Like you said, this is the first time we've delved into this subject since uh, The Tale of Jake and the Leprechaun. An episode that at the time I didn't like. I thought maybe I, I was overly harsh on it. I'm trying not to be overly harsh on this one. I like this episode for the most part. There's a yeah. lot in this episode to like. More to like than there is to dislike. I would agree with that. Uh, it's an episode where the the plot structure isn't great. Like, she's a witch. Okay. She doesn't really learn that she's a witch when she should. Like, her grandmother should have given her that and then been like, Hey, you're a witch. That doesn't happen. She has to find it out organically through this constricted conflict. And the stuff with the birthday party. Like, everything here feels so forced as far as the story structure goes. It's unbelievable that the family would have abandoned her on her birthday twice. It's unbelievable that her grandmother would have given her these powerful tools and then just not told her how to use them so she could go to a ladies club party. Like, if it's your granddaughter's 16th birthday and you're passing on witch powers to her, you don't schedule a party with the ladies. No, this is the most important day of your granddaughter's life. Because something we didn't mention, the Setterwind tradition is passed on grandmother to granddaughter exclusively. Which also sucks for, like, the mom? Yeah, it really does. I mean, the mom may not even know anything about this. Didn't know that her mother and daughter are both witches. But yeah, you would but, think that, that Grandma Willie would have planned for like this the most important day of her of both her daughter and her own lives. Yeah. Passing on her like her stewardship of an evil badger demon seems like a big deal, but she scheduled a party that night. So there are a lot of things plot wise in this episode that just don't work and kind of mar what would otherwise be a really great episode, because the shit with Badge is pretty good. Badge always steals whatever scene that he's in, because the actor who's playing him, whose name I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Roland Smith. Roland Smith. Anytime he's on screen, he is just hamming it way, way up. And you, you and I were talking about this off mic. He, you were saying he probably had to ham it up just because he's wearing so much makeup. Yeah, he's uh, like, like I was saying earlier, his face is sort of constructed into a scowl. Like his brows are false. And they're just pointed down like a cartoon. It really does kind of remind me of Jack Nicholson's eyebrows. Like, he's got this really high but furrowed brow. He's got this sneer on his face. So this character only has one emotion. And I have to imagine it's hard acting in that, like, to convey anything other than that disgust that is meant to be portrayed there. Uh, And so the actor is having to do all of it with his voice and his eyes and his body without actually being able to really change his face. So... He does a pretty good job, all things considered. Also, his outfit is just a bunch of rags, so that's got to be inconvenient to move around in. I'm not going to say I liked him more than than 
Haunted Mask Vampire from last week's episode. Uh, but yeah. no, he's he's definitely a, a joy, a disgusting, creepy joy to watch whenever he's on screen. I, I thought all of the actors in this this episode did a pretty good job. I especially liked whoever played Trevor, the shit for brains younger brother, did a really good job with that character. I thought uh, Grandma Willie was really well done, too. Whenever Badge is threatening her, she's kind of like grinning and rolling her eyes because she's she's totally in charge of the whole situation in a very grandmotherly way. She's quiet about it. Like she doesn't, she's not boastful here. She's very clearly got the upper hand in kind of a Dumbledore sort of manner. But as a viewer, as a kid, I could understand someone not, not catching on to that, like a kid not realizing that. Uh, so the grandmother's acting is just subtle enough here to be, to be well done. We, we totally skipped over the part where she tells Badge that she's passed on the set powers to her, her granddaughter, so that's why she can no longer like contain Badge herself. Yeah. Again, a lot to like in this episode, a lot of character, a lot of work that went into Badge and his his garden, if nothing else. I like this one. I don't say I loved it, but I liked it. It was good. It was one of the better season five episodes. Yeah. But yeah, deciding whether or not we like episodes is not why we're here. That's right. Eli. Dicus. For the last time in season five. For the last time in the original series of Are You Afraid of the Dark? We must ask the question. You scared of this? Nah. Nah. You would have to be a really little kid to be scared of this. I can see a little kid being scared of Badge. I was not scared of this either. Again, the plot is so... The, the plot and the pacing of this episode are so all over the place, it's hard to get scared, I guess. Like, if I were a little kid seeing Badge and his, his garden full of, of skeletons hanging on nooses, I mean, you can't fault them for trying. That's They're trying to do something really scary here, but no, it just didn't, it didn't get that. Yeah, I will say about, gosh, eight years ago now, when I was teaching art camps, uh, I had a group of kids who were between the ages of, like, six and ten, uh, and I was trying to teach them a drawing class. And we had one of those, uh, like, scientific anatomical models of a skeleton that's, you know, accurately scaled and, and just looks like a real skeleton. And it stayed in a closet in this art room, and I brought it out for the kids to draw at one point, and the next day, the youngest kid in the class didn't come back. <laughs> Aww. And the day after, so like two days after I brought out the skeleton, his mom came up and was like, hey, I know you also teach a class about cartoons. Can he be in that one instead? Because he says he doesn't want to be in the room with the skeleton anymore. Um, and it occurred to me that this was the first time this kid had ever been in a room with a skeleton of any kind. This is the first time he'd had to, like, face that in anything other than cartoons. And it just fucked him up. He couldn't be in a room where he knew there was a skeleton in the closet. And so strange. Yeah. I never would have thought about that. But I, I learned a whole lot about kids that summer. Um, I feel like that that's the sort of kid that could be scared of this like if you were watching this and this was the first scary thing you ever saw badge is scary like he looks pretty real and skeletons everywhere and alternate swamp dimension and you can just be pulled to that swamp dimension through your own door like there's no like you could just be in your bed and badge could take you away so if you're like six or seven years old maybe even eight i can see a person being scared of this episode i was 10 by the time this episode came out i would not have been scared of this yeah, we have to we have to grade this one on a bit of a curve, as we often do. Not scary for adults, but if you have a young child under ten, they might think twice before they play the flute or something. 
Oh, yeah. Before they steal someone's aggro crag. But overall, I would give this episode like a B. I thought it was a good episode. Not the best episode to go out on, but a good episode. Do we want to take this moment to note that this is the last true Gary story? Yeah. It's not the last time we'll see Gary. Spoiler alert. I'm not, we won't get too deep into when we see him again. It won't be for a while. Uh, but yeah, this is the last time Gary is actually the storyteller. And yeah, I mean, this is a big, big loss. <laughs> I'm this still trying to wrap my head around like the gravity of this, because we've said goodbye to literally everyone else except Tucker. Uh, it's weird that this is the episode Gary goes out on. The Tale of a Door Unlocked definitely should have been his last episode. Yeah, a Sardo episode has to do with, with magic and, you know, all the stuff that Tucker was making fun of him for uh, at the beginning. This does not feel like a Gary story. No, um, which I guess he's told a few stories that don't, but they they definitely try to save Gary for the Gary stories, and this was not a Gary story at all. I guess this feels more like Pinball Wizard to me, more like I'm looking at Gary's stories that aren't Sardo stories. Rattle um, off to me all the stories that Gary told. Okay, uh, despite being the leader of the Midnight Society and introducing the group, Gary's first story was the Tale of the Super Specs, where we first meet Sardo. Uh, his next story that he told, or that he wrote and told himself, was the tale of the pinball wizard. An episode told... that some would say we judged too harshly. Yeah, several people have said we judged too harshly. Robert. Uh... <laughs> yeah, shout out to Rob. Uh, he told the tale of the dream machine, which is not a traditional Gary story at all. I guess he kind of went on a streak there. The tale of the dark dragon is a Sardo story, but only in like the loosest sense. Like Sardo doesn't come back for the resolution of the conflict or anything. Yeah. That one feels definitely feels different from all the other Sardo stories. And also it just feels kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. That's an episode I really haven't thought about a lot since we watched it. I'm almost curious to, to go revisit it and see how it holds up. It does give us the great Sardo line. Harold. <laughs> oh yeah. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> Harold. <laughs> uh, he told the tale of the magician's assistant. How did he Which not a... tell? How, how did he not tell the one with uh, Goth? Who told that one? Oh, shit, Sorcerer's Apprentice. That was a Betty Ann story. Betty Ann's the wild card. She can tell any kind of story. Uh, so he told the tale of the dream machine, the tale of the dark dragon. He told the tale of the magician's assistant. Did Gary tell the most stories out of anyone? The magician's it... assistant was, despite not having Sardo was a quintessential Gary story. It was a kid working for yeah. a magician and fighting a wizard. He told the tale of the carved stone, which we just discussed. Um, also had this exact same actress in it. She played Alice and Denny in that episode. She played Gwen in this one. He told the tale of the Crimson Clown, which is probably one of the best episodes of the show. He told the tale of Cutter's Treasure with my main man, Frank, R.I.P. I thought you were going to say with, with our main man, Charles S. Dutton. <laughs> our main man, Charles S. Dutton. <laughs> uh, he told the tale of the renegade virus which i think was one of your favorites yep. he told the tale of the unfinished painting which was no one's favorite uh he told the tale of the door unlocked and the tale of badge 10 11 by my count if you count cutter's treasure as two episodes yeah i mean it doesn't feel like he told the most episodes for sure but like i guess the numbers don't lie and you know like we talked about last time he's a part of one of the two main sort of character development moments that happened throughout the show uh david and Kristen got their romance which is a big plot point and gary's romance with sam was even more so 
I would say, you know, I talked in the last episode about how great it was that Sam had her own agency in that and that she sort of called the shots on when the relationship happened. But it's important to note that that relationship was told way more through Gary's eyes than it was Sam's. We almost never see Sam dealing with it until that final episode. She basically ignores it. Whereas we get all sorts of stuff from Gary about having a crush on Sam. So he was the focal point of the primary character development story told through the Midnight Society. And he always seemed like such a natural leader of the Midnight Society. It was not something they really played up, although, you know, in this specific episode, I guess Tucker does. But, like, he always seemed like such a perfect fit for that role. And I don't know, I cer- I know Tucker's going to assume that role in a few years, but he just doesn't seem like he has that, like, the quiet diplomacy. nobility that Gary does. Yeah, it'll be weird not having him. He was really a perfectly written character. You have all of these, not all, but, like, you have Tucker and Frank and Stig and Kiki and all of these characters that are kind of willing to fight with each other and willing to stir shit up. And Gary was always the diplomatic one. He was always the calm one. He was always the kind of serious one of the group. And that kept them organized and on track. You know, we've talked before about like how the midnight society functions and like how often do they meet and how do they decide this shit and all of that. Gary was the stickler for the rules and he was so in a way that never came across as like overbearing or annoying. We made fun of him for kind of being whiny or a wimp sometimes, but I genuinely believe that the plausibility of the midnight society rests completely on Gary's shoulders. Unlike the other members of the Midnight Society, we will eventually learn the fate of Gary. So I'm not going to mourn for him too much yet. Yeah. Uh, And we can talk about the rest of the Midnight Society and say our goodbyes officially on the next episode. So here is the plan. Next week, we will be back with The Freighties, our annual <clears throat> season in review podcast where we're going to look at the best and the worst from season five. You guys know the drill at this point. Best monster, worst monster, our favorite episodes. Best episode. All the talking points worth worth discussing about season five. We're going to say goodbye to the Midnight Society as we know it. I hope your tuba is, is cleaned out and ready. The week after that, we'll be having... Tentatively, this is still kind of up in the air, but tentatively the week after the Freddy's, we'll be having our next group movie night. So if you missed it last time, mark your calendars for the weekend of, I guess, September 20-something. We'll announce it next week. I'm not going to say what the movie is yet, but uh, stay tuned for that announcement at the end of the Trapped in the closet. (laughs) It is not going to be trapped in the closet. (laughs) We don't have all night. Uh, the week after that, hopefully sometime after that, we'll have the, the lost episode that, Eli, you recorded with, with Bryce. Uh, yep, we're still I'm working currently to, trying to rescue that from my computer. We're still working to recover that. We're also still working to recover our episode of uh, Casual Chats, so we'll have some stuff. We'll have some content for you uh, in the next few weeks. There will be a, a brief hiatus following that episode as we prepare to enter the brave new world of Season 6. Yeah, and by my count, that'll probably put us somewhere around Halloween. It'll be very close. So, lots of stuff to look forward to in the coming weeks. The times, they are uh, not going to be the same anymore. (laughs) Yep, and uh, thanks to everyone for sticking with us this far. I can't believe we are officially saying goodbye to the original Midnight Society. I can't believe we're having to make all of these crazy preparations. There were many times where I didn't think I would stick around with this podcast long enough to see it, but here we are. Here we are. 
Uh, so, yeah, like you said, we'll be back next week with the Freighties. And until then, you can find us on all of our regular channels. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash youscaredofthis, Twitter, at youscaredofthis, SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash youscaredofthis, where you can listen to our whole back catalog. Uh, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, please subscribe and give us a rating or a review. We appreciate those. With all of that said, we'll see you next week, and I hereby declare this episode of You Scared of This closed. And what was something funny I had marked in my notes here? Let me scroll through them. Was there anything funny in this episode? Man, I thought I had... I, I was... I swore I had a stinger to go in on here, but... Nope, I guess this is how Season 5 ends. Womp womp. Just play Sardo screaming Harold. <laughs>